gladfully I welcome you to Real Relations with Dr. J.C. I am Dr. Janice C. Hodge, Certified Pastoral Psychotherapist, and you are wisely listening to WDJYFM Straight Talk Radio. You're in the right place, and this is the best time to reflect upon relationships of every kind. You know why? It's because we are here to care for you on the air. Well, we are back, and we have come back to talk with all of you wonderful listeners uh, about life. The question we're considering in the midst of these, uh, shall we say, evil days, is what about life? I'm glad to embrace some of the top thinkers, those who are firm in the spirit, in faith and practice, um, Pastor Zelba Owens, Chaplain Tyrone Ellis, and Professor Joaquin Jackson. I find it important to have uh, these three people who are walking wisely by faith, and and they've learned how to do that uh not by sight, but by practice, discipline, and observation of the people that they serve. And so we're going to open up our talk today, continuing where we left off. We discussed the Pew Report last time and how 94% of black people say that they are committed to their faith. They believe in God of the Bible. Well, that sounds wonderful. But what we figured out that of those people who are committed to the God of the Bible, let me also say that includes other faith bodies and uh, books of wisdom like the Quran, the Holy Quran. Um, but what we are also finding out is among those uh, people who express their belief, um, many probably say they're not part of a congregation. They don't do that weekly. They don't do that. They're not committed to any particular one. Um, so the question was raised, what does it mean? And so for review, we'll ask our, our three guests today, uh, after you thought about what we talked about uh, in our part one, would, do you want to say any more about what it means that people who believe in God of the Bible or the Holy Quran or uh, other uh, faith traditions, do you want to say more about what it means that people really aren't attending, involved in the actual practice of the faith? Um, So, again, we're talking to Chaplain Tyrone Ellis uh, and, and let us say, uh, U.S. Army Chaplain Tyrone Ellis, Professor Joaquin Jackson, with many years of experience as a minister, uh, educator, instructor in Aikido, uh, and then, of course, Reverend Zelba Owens, elder from the African Methodist Episcopal Zion denomination. As we start out, what do you want to say? I'm not going to ask either one of you to start first, just whoever wants to say what else you're thinking, please do. 
Well, we'll let the sister start first. Okay. <laughs> okay. What's important to understand is, is that there has been, if you will, a shift um, in terms of how the faith-based community has responded to the situations of the hour. And as I speak to the situations of the hour, I was saying earlier that we are in a trifold pandemic, that of the COVID-19 virus, a financial, a spiritual, and sociopolitical, so it's actually for a pandemic. And now we have had to shift in terms of how we communicate with one another. We have not been able to have in-faith or in-church services. However, we have had many, many, many in-online Zoom, Google, free conference, etc. services. And it has proven to be of great value. So we need to begin to address how we relate to the community and their needs as it is now, and not from the traditional way. I'm not saying throw the tradition out the window, but I am saying that we have to shift and make some adjustments so that we begin to address the needs of the people and look at, know what we are looking at when we address those needs. Hey, man, you know, if I can jump here real quick, <clears throat> I definitely agree with uh, Reverend Owens. Uh, and as I said before, the black church, and I'm going to talk about the black church, has been the pillar of our communities for centuries. For, for as long as the church, the black church has been in existence. And uh, we definitely have to make sure that we continue to be that um, that part of our communities because it's, it's the black church who has always stood there in the time of trouble and time of need during the um, uh, during the um, uh, civil rights and and that movement uh, during during the Jim Crow movement uh, even even now uh, with the things that we're dealing with currently the black church is still stepping up to play its part. I was watching a show on TV, um, I can't remember the name of it, though, but it was talking about the black church, and it spoke directly to what we were talking about in our last uh, session that we had, uh, that it seems like that the younger generation is not following the church like we were, um, even through the Black Lives uh, Matters movement. A lot, of those, a lot of the young people are not church-bound, or I would say church, if you it may allow me to use that word. And they was asking the question, well, why, do you, why don't you attend church right now? And they felt that, you know, there's no need for it. But I still believe that the black church still should be the pillar of every community because it is the faith in God that's getting us through and not we ourselves. Mm-hmm. Does that have, with you saying that, that they aren't involved in a church, you know, in a, or mosque, synagogue, or temple, doesn't that have to do with, with their family um, practices absolutely and uh, that's that's the root of it is because when we look at the breakdown of the black family 
then we can also see the destruction of that. And then we can also see the results from that. And so it's now, uh, it's not the family going to church. It's single parent moms pulling her children to church. And then the children are looking at, okay, so the church got a couple of activities for us to, to, to be here, but then what's next after that? Go to high school possibly, stay in church for a little while, may or may not go to college, but then what's after that? What am I coming back to? What am I, what, what is feeding me to feed the community in which I'm in? And so when we, when we don't have anything for them to hold on to or aspire to, then we left them out in the wind. And I, I used it in, in this particular way. My grandparents told their children to go to school to get a good job. That worked because then it gave them a sense of security, they're possibly able to stand on their own two feet. They're going to go and buy their own homes, possibly their own cars. But we have to understand from the initial standpoint, if we just go three generations back, the last generation did not have an education. So as we aspire to get education, but then we fail to say, all right, come back to the community, what we ended up doing by – I don't want to say ignorance, but not understanding what was to come after that. We got our children educated, and we send them back out into the plantation to tell, Master, I need a job. I'm educated now. Can I come work on your plantation? Mm-hmm. Meaning corporate America. Uh-huh. So we don't, have, we don't have enough in our own community to put them back into so they can live. Uh, we have enough barbershops. We have enough salons. We have enough nail shops. But we need some other things in place so that then, as they did in Black Wall Street, the money stayed in the community more than 20 days. For, for one minute, maybe we better explain what Black Wall Street is for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with Black Wall Street. Um, what do we want to say about Black Wall Street so our listeners are with Black, Black Wall Street was in Oklahoma, and Black Wall Street, black folks were self-sustaining. Everything that they need to, to make it from day to day, from week to week, from month to month, from year to year, they could do that exchange with folks they could identify with. You needed to go to the barbershop, someone was there that you can identify with. You needed to go to the grocery store, the grocery store was owned by folks you could identify with. You needed to go to the bank, the bank, folks in the bank and the owners of the bank was folks that they could identify with. They had, matter of fact, they had a half a dozen private planes that they owned themselves. And the mass majority of the homes in that particular area were owned by black folks. All of the businesses were owned by black folks. 
and until we can find a way to sit down at the table and and actually the whole culture needs counseling because some of the things that come out of our mouths, the way we react, the way we attempt to do business with one another, do we really trust one another? And so that, that, that's systemic from what we've come through. But until we change, until we, as it says, as, as it says in the word, it takes the renewing of our minds. Oh, my goodness, we do need to renew our minds. We, we're coming down to our break time, so we have about two minutes, and uh, we want to get maybe a thought that's a hot thought that from either you, uh, Chaplain Ellis, or uh, Pastor Owens. What about this whole matter of being self-sustaining as a community? Do we have that in amongst us now? Yeah, I, I agree with, definitely with Professor Jackson. Um, at one point in life, like he mentioned, we had Black America, uh, Black Wall Street, and it worked well until they destroyed it. But we mm-hmm. need to get back to that point again because, as you said, we don't trust each other. If you know all the other communities outside of the black community, they all pool their money and they mm-hmm. uh, support one another. We're the only community almost that uh, we don't support each other like we should support each other. But I think... As, Dr., as um, Professor Jackson said, we need to get that reprogramming of our brains back to the point that we're, hey, if you've got a black business, I need to patronize that black business. Mm-hmm. And we need to keep our black dollars in our communities in order to grow our community, to make our com- communities better, richer, and um, more sustainable. And that we don't have to move out to the suburbs and, and chase these dream places out. We can have all that right here in our own communities. Well, you're Absolutely. listening to... We're Relations with Dr. J.C., and we are really uh, appreciative of the conversation we are having with our informed guests. And, again, we have Professor Joaquin Jackson out of Chicago. We have uh, U.S. Army Chaplain uh, Dr. Tyrone Ellis. We have the Reverend Zelba Owens, um, the African-American Episcopal uh, Elder Extraordinaire. We will come back and we'll continue our conversation regarding um, well, Black Wall Street right now and being self-sustaining as a community. We will be right back. Stay right there and tune in. Well, we're glad you stayed with us. This is Real Relations with Dr. J.C. I am Dr. Janice C. Hodge, certified pastoral psychotherapist. You can find me online. By all means, pastors, find me on LinkedIn. Look for Inside Pastoral Care and Counseling. And then also, you can look for Janice C. Hodge, which uh, the Sunflower will tell you you're in the right place. Or on Facebook, look for that Sunflower, Janice C. Hodge. And while we are at this, how do we find you, uh, Chaplain Ellis? Is there a social media presence? Are you in the cloud? Tell us. Yes. Uh, so I, I am on Facebook under... Uh, Dr. Tyrone Ellis. You can also find my Twitter page. I don't do a lot of tweeting, but you can find me on Twitter under Dr. Tyrone Ellis and on uh, YouTube. YouTube will be Fellowship Ministries uh, with our special channel called Can I Get a Witness? Can I Get a Witness? All right. And so, and how do we locate you, Reverend Zelba? On LinkedIn, um, Harambe Inc., Reverend Zelba Owens. And Professor Joaquin. Jackson. You can leave me a message on 
Joaquin Jackson at Hotmail.com, or you can look at uh, how I teach martial arts on YouTube, Professor Joaquin Jackson. Okay. So now, here we have it. Uh, and by the way, we have, here we have evidence that faith and martial arts can go together. Isn't that right, Professor? Do those Absolutely. Go together? Okay. All right. Uh, well, we were talking about Black Wall Street and... Uh, and so for those who are just finding out about Black Wall Street, do Google uh, Black Wall Street, but for sure go to blackpast.org and you can read about it. Blackpast, P-A-S-T, dot org and read about Black Wall Street. But yes, it was destroyed by um, a, a woman outside of, our, of the black community telling something that was not true and then... She got uh, 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 these oppressive men came and, and and began to be very destructively involved in taking down Black Wall Street, and of course that's just I think that's probably one experience of, of ways in which our community has been. Um, and the government bombed it. And the government bombed it, um, and then which brings me to, to Emmett Till. Some, as as Emmett Till's name has come up through the George Floyd horror story. Uh, tell our listening audience who may not know about Emmett Till. What happened with Emmett Till? Who was Emmett Till and what happened to him? Anybody know? Emmett Till was from Chicago. He went south to spend some time with his kinfolks. Uh, and allegedly a uh, female Caucasian indicated that he whistled at her mm-hmm. she went and told and a mob of white males beat him to death to the point that he was unrecognizable to his mother mm-hmm. and and we want to remember that I think I want to point out also is, I think he was only about what 13 years old 13 yes. years old 13 14 now, they, now, now, watch this. You had a group of grown men beating up a 13-year-old boy. That's, that's ridiculous. But that was the time that we were dealing with. Now, let, let me jump ahead real quick. It's 2021. We just had the verdict on the, um, on the George, Ford, uh, George uh, Floyd case. And um, I thank God that they got it right. But let's look at how many people thought they got it wrong. Hmm. And I'm wondering, I'll say the evidence, just like Emmett Till, the evidence was right there. The boy was beat to death. Nobody got charged. And here it is, George Floyd, the evidence was right in front of us, caught on film. But people are saying that the cops were justified. I, I don't get it. You know, and maybe I'm missing something. But there's some of the things that we have to deal with in our African-American, our African-American communities. That's why I said the black church still has to step up and be the voice other people Absolutely. who are not being heard. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and we can't leave out the detail that they dragged the 13-year-old boy, Emmett Till, out of, out of his bed, out of bed where he was right. with his cousin, his boy cousin. They were sleeping, and they dragged him out of the bedroom and then beat him and tortured him and burned him then in, in the Mississippi River. So, yeah, that's, that's another story of a mob action, the Wall Street, um, Black Wall Street as well as that. But the good but news... Also, but also, Dr. Hodge, uh, later on before the lady made her transition, she indicated that it didn't really happen. 
Yeah, she said she she admitted she lied. Right. Did she make her transition? I didn't know that. Last I heard, she was out a couple of years ago. She was saying she lied, but I didn't know she was gone. So, so, but, but, but let me let me add this to uh, to this. The real the 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 real reason why white males. And for those of them that are police, subconsciously are scared of black males in part, regardless if they're teenagers, uh, young, or even in their 30s and 40s. And one of the reasons for that, and don't nobody want to really just say, look, he cannot go anywhere in the world and reproduce himself. He has to have a white female in order for the longevity of his own people. When the black male has the ability to go anywhere in the entire world, and when uh, they decide to put people on the moon, we'll be doing it there too. So, so you're saying he has to have but, a white who 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 were you saying has to have a white female to reproduce himself? The white male cannot he cannot re he can only reproduce himself with a white female. Okay. Any anything outside of his ethnicity is dominant than him. Oh, I see. Yeah. All, and, and so his yeah. fear is not just so much of the physicality. His fear is what this young man, that young man of black origin, his real danger is that he can annihilate me totally and it never has to come to fisticuffs. If, if you read about it in, in, in uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Francis, Francis, Francis Wessler's, the ISIS paper, if you think about all of the destruction in which they have created has the imagery of the black genitalia. If you look at that. Yeah, there's a lot of anxiety. And then when they look at the black male, they recognize that when we came over here, when they brought us over here, not when we came over here, when they brought us over here, and then they put us on that auction block, they recognize, and they white women recognize the same thing. Oh, my gosh. So there's a there's a a power that they had not seen before. Absolutely. The and and, and really that's you're saying that's the root of the problems. Francis Cress Welsing has put that again. Everybody, if you don't know Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, W E L S I N G, uh, do look her up. Blackpast.org is a good website to get more information to direct you to credible information about uh, the psychiatrist. Dr. Frances Cress Wilson, as she talks about uh, racism, oppression. If you don't understand racism and white supremacy, uh, everything else will be confusing for you. So um, check her out. But having, having gone there, um, we want to not get away from what we want to focus on is as we go through these, these terrible times, and I kind of think we have moved out of what's 
been said as the as evil days. We've moved to an evil day. As you look around the country, and we talk about Ohio even, um, and so I'm going to probably bring out uh, Chaplain Ellis first, because not only is, is, is this terrible thing happening in Ohio with another police shooting that is controversial right now, but uh, what about young people going into the military? Uh, are you finding hopelessness among young men and or women coming into the military these days? Because I, I see a lot of hopelessness and uh, among youth uh, in my work. What are you seeing, Chaplain Ellis? Well, <clears throat> uh, just based upon some past experiences, um, it's, 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 it's give or take. Um, it's give or take. Uh, some uh, see, you see positive reinforcement uh, through the military, while others are just running from uh, something in life, and, and no matter how fast or how far you run, it's going to follow you until you're able to deal with it. So I found myself a lot of time counseling uh, young people, I'm talking about 18, 19 years old, um, uh, uh, out of um, out of situations, and even to take it to as far as the extent of suicide. As you as you all know, the suicide rate in the military uh, in the past few years has uh, went up over 50 to 60 percent um, because of some of the things that we were dealing with uh, coming back from combat and some other PTSD and some other things that was also going on. But some of these, some of the situations had nothing to do with, with combat, had nothing to do with PTSD. It was just life in general that they were dealing with. And, and I don't want to say simple things but because it's not simple to them, but things that, can, that, were, um, that we can consider that, you know, it shouldn't take them to the extreme. But, again, you have to remember, everybody thinks differently and everybody deals with situations differently. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I found myself uh, uh, dealing with, uh, with some and some not. And it was 50-50 in, in that situation. Wow. Oh, and now, uh, either Professor Jackson, Reverend Zelba, are you finding youth, and, and this is important now as we talk about what is happening with our lack of continued uh, relationship commitment within faith practice, are you seeing a decrease in wellness among youth? No. There is, there's, a, there's an increase in, well, let me put it this way. It appears as though I am seeing more hopelessness expressed, and it's expressed in education, it's expressed in social norms, it's expressed in church. There's a form of why should I why should I go to school and get an education when I'm going to be beat down anyway? And I have heard I have heard this from some young people. In fact recently a fifteen year old a uh, young lady who is the granddaughter of someone that I know. And it, it was expressed in that form two minutes. Mm-hmm. simply because of her mom being, um, her mom having some challenging issues as a single parent and struggling to make ends meet. So now she's 15 
and I'm trying to, I'm looking at a way, and I'm speaking for her, to make it. Okay, when we come back, we, we want to hear a bit from Professor Jackson if, if he has experienced youth with this level of depression. And, and I am seeing people, young people under 14 with ideas about ending their life. Uh, we're going to figure out what do we do about it, particularly in light of all this insanity uh, on the streets. I heard from a boy from Morehouse, well, he was a young man, who spoke pretty clearly about it on, on TV news. Uh, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Your Relations with Dr. J.C. And this is Dr. Janice C. Hodge. It's a tough conversation right now. But we've got to have one. We've got to figure out a way to move forward from this. We'll be right back. Stay put. You're listening to Real Relations with Dr. J.C. and I am Dr. Janice C. Hodge, Certified Pastoral Psychotherapist. And we are having a, a very important conversation because we are encountering all of us on, in this conversation. Uh, we're talking to Professor Joaquin Jackson, to Reverend Zelba Owens, and to Chaplain Dr. Uh, Tyrone Ellis about hopelessness in youth. We get, you know, if we are really as committed to our belief in God of the Bible or God of the Quran or, or any of our holy books, why? What's going on with our fruit? Our fruit is uh, falling, and and I don't know if we're prepared to, to catch the fruit. Do we have a place for safety for our fruit? Can we keep our fruit? Well, anyway, this this is what we're trying to figure out right now. So, Professor. Jackson, are you aware of youngsters uh, feeling the, the level of hopelessness that we're talking about uh, before the break? Um, uh, absolutely, yeah. Dr. Hodge. Um, I was really taken at one particular time. I, I, I live on the south side. I was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. And uh, my parents own their own business. And I went to the west side uh, to, I was putting a hair show together, south side versus west side. And when I went to the west side, it was totally different than what I had experienced on the south side all of my life. When I went to go teach on the west side of Chicago, I received a totally different level of education from observation that I would have never received in a classroom. And at one particular time, uh, one of the black publications, the Chicago Defender, was running a series on the school system in Chicago and what schools had been on academic probation. One of the schools on the west side had been on academic probation for 14 years. When I was talking to the children, that were between first and third grade, I said, if your car broke down, would you get it fixed? They said, yes. I said, if it broke down again, would you get it fixed? But it's something else. They would say, yes. But I said, would you get the same car fixed 14 times? I'm talking to children between first and third grade that had the wherewithal to understand, no, I would not get the same car fixed 14 times. So how is it that the same school is on academic probation. And I told them, I said, what they're doing is an experiment with you all over here. And I said, I'm looking at it 
I can see I can see how it happens. In the classroom that I had, the sharpest were the young ladies. And I said, well, she'll do well, and she's already doing well, and she'll probably graduate at the top of her class and on her way to high school. The little boy will, the little boys that wanted to be hard-headed, they will get by and graduate out of eighth grade. But nine out of ten, they will stop between their sophomore and their junior year. And the reason, because then once they realize that 16, after 16, I really don't have to go anymore. But because that, that little girl is so smart and pretty, he's going to keep showing up. She's going to keep telling him no, no, no. And then between her sophomore, end of her sophomore year and her junior year, she gives in. Now something happens, and now she's pregnant. So when I asked out of these 40 children, how many of your parents are college graduates? I didn't get a hand and went up, but I knew one student, his brother was in college. But then when I asked the question, how many of your parents are high school graduates, the numbers were low. So we're not, if we're not pushing education then, as, as it says in a large family, the last one is probably the last one that gets all of the attention because everybody else is busy. Mm-hmm. And so, so we're looking at we've gotten so busy trying to keep up with the Joneses that we're really not taking care of making everything fundamentally sound to move forward to be in church, uh, save money, buy houses, have some equity in America so that we can leave something for the next generation to come and a generation after that. Well, we've got to be thinking about that. But now, now Reverend Zelba, uh, your thoughts. I was glad to see uh, some of the students from Morehouse interviewed on CNN uh, yesterday, and they want the young people to talk about their thoughts about the verdict of uh, the George Floyd verdict. And this very bright young man said, yeah, it, it really disturbed him what happened with the Floyd case. He was really glad for the acquittal, uh, for the conviction, but, but he worries because he said, now, when is it going to be my turn and, or something close to that? I, I'm really disturbed that he said that hmm. because I don't, I don't think he ought to be thinking like that. What do you say, Reverend Zelba? Should he should he be thinking? Well, wow, the, when is my turn? Yeah, he's he's concerned about it because you have a blast on media. Every single solitary way that um, folks are turning, there's that possibility. And but, but, but should he should he assume it's going to happen to him? Well, yeah. If you if your sense of experience is that the people in your family, you know someone in your family, you know someone in your neighborhood, in your community, who has been subjected to that kind of racism, social uh, profiling, except racial profiling. That's why he's he's looking at it. I I understand why he's looking at it. The question is, though, for us as pastors, is that how he need think? Now, this is where I'm going to say to all three of you, here is a place of the teaching 
that comes uniquely from the church, mosque or temple. <laughs> um, uniquely, what do you what do you say, uh, Chaplain Ellis? What do you say should uh, Professor should he be thinking? Should he be expecting that it's going to happen to him? So, <clears throat> I go back to the time of uh, Pastor uh, Pastor Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, and, and, and the civil rights. Um, and I look at it and say, okay, everything that's happened then, now should we be expecting the same thing? And actually, things should be better now. So we should not be expecting to go through the same thing that they did in the 1950s and 60s, but we're still going through the same things here in 2000, 2020. So I, I understand the question, and and, and I understand that, no, they shouldn't be thinking that way, but the reality is still set forth right now, and we cannot get past the reality in order to move forward. And so until, the, again, like, like, uh, like uh, Reverend Owen said, until the communities and the black churches are actually in that spot in helping, because they're going to they're be thinking the same thing. They, they're going to think it. Uh, unfortunately, that's what they see. So that's all they know. All right, Mr. what do you say? Oh, I think we got lost. Well, what about the scripture that says um, life and death is on the power of your tongue? Anybody have a thought about that? Absolutely, it is. And and there's another scripture that hinges on to that. As a man thinketh, so shall he do in his heart. Exactly. So if that and being I'm the teaching, that being the teaching, all that. I'm, right, and I'm consistently saying to people, even folks from my generation and many generations, well, a simple thing like, that burns me up. Is that really what you mean? You don't want to burn me up? Yeah. Or I have, no, I have no way out. Once you get that in your mindset, you're going to actuate it in your behavior. So we have to to input some changes in thought process in order to move to another level of education and that there is opportunity. There's light at the end of the tunnel. All right, we got we've got to go to another break, but we really got. To, I want us to really uh, focus in on the importance of what we even what forget about what we're seeing. How can we put ourselves in the discipline of thinking over and beyond what we see? Certainly, uh, as Chaplain uh, Ellis has brought up, uh, Dr. King and those with him, they learned how to see beyond. They were ready for the fight because they could see beyond um, the, the, the brutal experiences. And we got, we're going to be closing out after this next break. We've got to figure out some ideas about how we can put that in place for our youth. Because we want to have a different view. All right, we are going for a break. We'll be right back. Real Relations with Dr. JC. And we are back with Real Relations with Dr. JC. And we are talking about. Uh, Restoring hopelessness, we're talking about the importance of 
practicing the faith, the black church, and where is it really going? Uh, 94% of the black community is strongly believing in God of the Bible, but uh, are we living by what the God of the Bible says? So it comes back to our language. It comes back to our language. Even though we see horror, uh, does, where, what solutions do we have? Is, is God more powerful than the evil we see? Um, your response, Reverend Zelba, whoever wants to come first, Chaplain Ellis, Professor, is God or the Bible stronger than the evil we see? Absolutely. We have to present an alternative, and the alternative is right in front of us. If I'm projecting and giving forth some positive, concrete alternatives, then it gives people some hope. It's something out of the realm in which they are living to think about or grasp I had somebody say to me when the trial first started for George Floyd that, well, what difference does it make? They're going to acquit him. And I had to stop them immediately. Wait a hold it. Wait. Have you listened to? Here's what's going on. I mean, even his superiors. You know, I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit closer into the phone I hear background noise. Even his superiors have not upheld this officer in the way that he treated George Floyd and subsequently died. I think you need to listen, and then we can have some conversation. When I sent the message to them that he had been convicted, found guilty on all three charges, their attitude was totally different. And that opened up a dialogue. Now I see what you're, what you're saying. There is light at the, the end of the tunnel. And will not so the God hope. of Israel do right? Yes. There's hope. Now, now so, and so this week, as we have seen that uh, conviction of that officer, uh, we're also dealing with several other uh, traumatic losses around the country. But is it still true uh, will God still honor what God has t- said we should teach ourselves and those we uh, are responsible for, family, uh, church family, teach them uh, that what you say, death and life is, a, is on your tongue. It's, it's about what you say and what you think. How do we change, how do we discipline ourselves to think differently what can we put in place on sunday when we worship or and then what do we do through the week and and then we'll be closing out pretty soon uh what do you think i don't know i think something like chaplain else is not there professor i don't know if you got that i'm right here i'm right here all right, all right. What, what what can we put in place in worship in our practice through the week so that we can actually live out of what is taught well uh, we, we we can put we can put truth in there uh, as you just mentioned, uh, the children of Israel, I, I was at a, at a church previous, and um, I heard the minister uh, make the statement about the Jews, and I said afterwards that when you say Jews to present-day folks, they're looking at the Jews of today, but the church yes. is not telling that the original Jews were black. 
They're not talking about who the 12 tribes of Israel were black. But then sometimes when you go into a church and you see this Caucasian that is identified as being Jesus, but we, for those of us that have studied and taken the time out to do our due diligence, recognize that that is a mixed nomenclature. So the children are going, okay, how is it that we're talking about a Savior, but the Savior in which we're talking about, I cannot identify with. And then some would say, what difference does it make what color he was? And then you have to come back and say, then what difference does it make for you to suppress the truth? My good, and, and that's a, that's a great point. And with that, we have to leave our show today. We, as always, we have so much more to flesh out. But that is what's important: the truth. Everybody, stay focused on the truth. And I think we read somewhere, since we believe the Bible, that Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." Amen. We are so glad you joined us for our talking on what about life. We look forward to having you again. And meanwhile, stay well. Stay aware and stay wise. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye.